Discover BetMGM, the betting app sports fans in the Capital Region turn to for nonstop action all winter long. Take the excitement of football, basketball, and hockey to the next level with same-game parlays, exclusive signature bets, odds boost promos, and much more. Plus, now you can sign in, place bets, and manage your cash balance under the same BetMGM account in D.C., Maryland, and Virginia. With the same username and password throughout the DMV, it's never been easier to play with the king of sportsbooks. Download the BetMGM app today. BetMGM is an authorized gaming partner of the NBA and an official sports betting partner of the NHL. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly and offer resources to help you make appropriate choices. Please gamble responsibly. BetMGM.com for terms and conditions. Must be 21 years of age or older to wager. Washington, D.C. only. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Are you ready to move your career forward? Make your comeback with Purdue Global and get college credit for your work, school, life, or military experiences. With these credits, you may have already completed up to 75% of your undergraduate degree. You've worked hard to get where you are. It's time to get the recognition you deserve and earn a degree you'll be proud of, one that employers will trust and respect. When you take the next step in your life and career, make it count with Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. Start your comeback at purdueglobal.edu. You're listening to 100 Words or Less with Ray Harkins. Hello, all you beautiful podcast humans. We are here. We are doing it. This is 500 episodes, which is insane for me to say. But I, I am really proud of that fact. I actually wasn't even going to do anything for this 500th episode in regards to like you know making mention of it and you know maybe bringing on a special guest or whatever the case may be. But my son was like, "Hey, 500 episodes—that's like that's a lot." And the more I thought about it, I'm like, "Yeah, it is." Because I, in my head, had been marking off the sort of 52-week increments as being a year. And then I was like, 500, that seems like such a big number. And it is because I've been doing this podcast for, gosh, it's been close to 10 years and it has irrevocably changed my life. I'm going to pontificate more in a moment, but I have to tell you the guest today is Milo Ackerman from The Descendants. I am so thrilled to say those words in a sentence because uh, Milo and Descendants are huge, obviously, within the punk rock hardcore community. They are a starter kit band, you know, when you start to get into this awesome world that we are all heavily influenced by. They're probably top 10 bands that get introduced to people, hopefully, as long as you're doing it right. And the Descendants were were huge for me. I will never forget hearing them in Pump Up the Volume, which we actually go to in great depth because I was, uh, I was so transfixed by how they got into this random movie with Christian Slater. It's a great movie, by the way. If you've never seen it, you can find it on YouTube. It's for free. <laughs> but uh, I got to take Milo down, uh, you know, stroll down memory lane, but then also focus on why descendants still exist. And uh, frankly, probably the most pressing and important question is how much coffee you should drink in a day. Because anybody that has paid attention to descendants knows that coffee is a huge part of who it is that they are and what it is that they do. So I have to give a special shout out to my friend Carl, who is a previous guest on the show. 
for linking this up and uh, for everybody that is listening to this thing because uh, I just really genuinely appreciate all of the interest and support because this podcast has literally changed my life. And I know that sounds like a gross overstatement, but I've been able to make friendships. I've been able to travel with this particular show. I've been able to, there's so many doors have opened up to me because I've decided to talk into a microphone (laughs) and interview people uh, about their experiences within punk and hardcore and independent music. So I'm, I'm just incredibly thankful and I love that. And I appreciate all of you that engage with this show on a week to week basis, or if you're just discovering it, I don't care. Welcome along for the ride. I really appreciate that. But anyways, I also want to highlight, got to gotta give a shout out to a few things. First of all, you can email the show, 100wordspodcast at gmail.com. I respond to all email there, and I always like to have a dialogue with people. So yeah, if you just want to say what's up, or if you want to say, hey, maybe you should have this person on. I've definitely <laughs> connected the dots with uh, people who've emailed me ideas and then been like, oh yes, that makes a lot of sense. Um, you can also leave a rating and review on either Apple Podcasts or leave a rating on Spotify. Those things help. And I know that every podcast in the world asks you to do those things. But, uh, you know, maybe for the 500th episode, you can throw me a bone there. And also, there is an incredible documentary. I can wholeheartedly endorse this because I've watched it and I think it's really, really good. Removing the fact that uh, I did an interview <laughs> for the documentary, but Dead Guy put out a documentary about their band. It's on fourthmedia.com. And actually not not fourthmedia.com. It's fourth.media. That is the place. Or you can just Google Dead Guy Documentary. You'll be able to find it. But it's available for right now. It's an incredible piece of work. And I think that uh, everybody that that captures the essence of that band, like, they did not, no stone was left unturned. And I really, really think that that documentary is well worth your time. So... Anyways, all that out of the way, let's talk to Milo from The Descendants. Oh my gosh, it's so cool. Here he is. I'm not a loser. That's right. I'm not a loser. I'm not a loser. My intro point to Descendants as a uh, 41-year-old uh, punk and hardcore kid from Southern California uh, was a little bit peculiar because I got into you guys via the film uh, Pump Up the Volume and your song in it. And uh, I presume you're familiar with that film? Yeah. Uh, I think I might have watched it, but really, I mean, I was, I was definitely pointed towards it because people said, oh, they've got the your they've got wiener stencil in there you know so totally and that i that hit me at a young age where the intersection of music and comedy was at its height you know as a whatever 11 or 12 year old and then i dove into summary and then it was all over for me um in hearing stories like that and like you said other people that have pointed you in that direction uh is it interesting for you to kind of hear about how people got into your band yeah, I mean, I think uh, it's a lot of times it is more circuitous, and I, mean, I think that's just because uh, you know we we never got played on the radio, at least especially back then. And so I think if you don't get that radio play, then it's got to be some kind of a word of mouth thing, or it's got to be some, like you said, some tangential 
way of doing it via this like snippet of a movie or something like that. So it is fun to hear how people did it. You know, oh, this person made me a tape or, uh, you know, or uh, I, I saw the thing in pump up the volume or that kind of thing. Um, yeah. So it's, it's, uh, it, 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 it's unusual that, that there's these other ways that people find us besides the typical, you know, rock channels of, of, you know, hearing them on the radio, which never really, never really happened for us, but that's okay. Cause there's plenty of other channels. Yeah, for sure. I, it, I mean, that definitely fits into the idea of existing in DIY punk and hardcore where, you don't necessarily know how you're going to reach the people, but then at the same time, like they do end up finding you at some juncture yep. <laughs> as long yeah. as you're doing it right. And sometimes people would find us through other bands, other bands being played on the radio. So they hear some band on the radio and then that band references us. So then that's kind of an indirect way. So yeah, we'll take, we'll take whatever we can get at this point. Yeah. Right. Yeah. You're, <laughs> you're just going to open the door and be like, Hey, come on in. I don't care how you got here. Welcome. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Um, and as a follow-up to that one particular thing, do you even recall or recognize where that came up? Was it just one of those things like you got tapped on your door and was like, oh, hey, like, you know, we want to play you guys in this movie or did you just find out about afterwards? I found out about it afterwards because I, I think, you know, Bill, he's, he's kind of the business guy. And so I think I'm sure that they, someone contacted him, you know, hey, we want to do this. Or maybe not because, you know, it was such a short, it was such a short song that I don't know this for a fact, but it could be that it fell under the samples. Legally, it's a sample. And if something's a sample, it's, it's, it's treated differently in those settings. So at any rate, no, I was something, not something that I was aware was, was being included. Bill may have known at the time, but I did hear about it after the fact and was, you know, so I had to race out and, you know, either I don't think I saw it in the theaters, but I think I, someone had a, you know, a, a tape of it or something like that. Just so right. I could see what was going on, but I guess they played it a few times like back to back. Like, uh, uh what's his name? Uh, Schla uh Christian, Christian Slater. Slater. Yeah. He was, he played it and he's like, Whoa, that was great. Let's do it again. You know, and he plays it again. So that was, <laughs> that was kind of fun. He, he made, he looked like he was having a lot of fun with it. So that's cool. Yeah, totally. I think that's what made it so interesting. I mean, honestly, it's like that that film is so um, prescient in a lot of different ways in regards to the way that radio evolved into podcasting and all these other things. But to your point of just the idea that, hey, this guy looks like he's having fun with this music, like I have to find out more about it. <laughs> so it's yeah. really cool. Yeah. Um, so I kind of, you know, putting the focal point on you as an individual, I know from a biographical uh, perspective, I know you were born in Lomita and then, but your more formative years were in the South Bay. What was kind of the family? Not, I, was, no. I, was born, I was born in L Los UCLA, L Los Angeles, okay. um, lived, grew up in Manhattan beach, um, um, moved to, uh, the band was practicing in Lamita. That's where the Lamita part comes in. Got it. Okay. Is that, is that we we eventually started practicing in that in Lamita, and that was a pretty long-standing uh, stint that we had practicing in Lamita. But Bill's Bill's from Redondo. I was from Manhattan. Frank was from Hermosa, and then Tony was from uh, Long Beach or Lake. I guess Lakewood slash Long Beach. Mm -hmm. So yeah, those are those. But we all obviously con convened into. 
one area. So. Right in the South Bay. Okay, cool. I, I appreciate the um, the uh, delineation there because yeah, yeah, you don't 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 want to don't want to give short shrift to Los Angeles, the birthplace of Milo Ackerman. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but uh, what was your family structure like as you were growing up? Like mom and dad in the house, brothers and sisters. What was the composite there? I had uh, three brothers, two older, one younger, um, and you know my my parents they. Uh, it was a, it was a great situation to grow up in because they just kind of let me, you know, they gave me a lot of rain, free rain to, to kind of, um, explore and do whatever I wanted to do. And, and I, you know, they trusted that I wasn't going to become a junkie or whatever. And they just, cause I, I got into punk rock and they were like, Oh, okay, let's see what this, see where this goes, you know? Right. Um, and I even, uh, you know, they, I think they knew that I was college bound uh, just based upon my, how I did in school and my interests. But when I went, I actually went to a community college my first year. And that was, I think that was the first time where they were like, wait a minute, this punk rock thing's meaning that you can't go to, you're not going to go to college right away. And I was like, don't worry, I got a plan. So, you know, it was, there was a lot of mutual trust going on. I think they trusted me to, to know what my plan was. And, you know, the next year then I did go off to like a four year college and, so there was, yeah, I just think my point is just that they, they really, uh, they really nurtured independence in me, which was, was good. And then, and, and they, they kind of, they weren't really very strict. And so, uh, I'm, I'm that way with my kids. It's just like, you know, I, I'm not, I don't crank, crack, crash down on them, but, uh, they, they know that I have high, high kind of expectations for them too, as well. Yeah. That's a cool experience for you because I, I know, I mean, this was something I was going to pull on a little bit later, but I can imagine that many parents reactions. And I'm sure you saw this with some of your friends, like as you start to get into this weirdo subculture where you're bringing home crazy hairstyles, not you personally, but other people and all these things that parents do not understand. And they're just going to be fearful of you engaging in this thing and then, you know, become restrictive. But that wasn't your experience. No. I mean, actually I, I played my, when I, mean, when we recorded my to goes to college and I played some of it for my dad and he heard, he heard parents, you know, the song, which, which I didn't write. That was Frank's writing. But of course my dad's hearing it and thinking that I wrote it. And so I'm thinking, Oh man, now he's going to be like bummed. And he got to the end. He's like, well, I could tell he was bummed, but he just said, man, that song's kind of boring or something like he, he had, he was critical of the song, but he couldn't come out and say like, why are you harshing on me, man? <laughs> so- <laughs> totally. Totally. Yeah. I can, it, it is funny when, that you have to in some respects like share your art or share what it is you're doing with your parents and then yeah (laughs) you're just like oh they're they're not gonna have any idea where i'm coming from like i I promise you don't suck dad but it's just general well it was definitely the the name the title of the song is parents and it's like why you know (laughs) shut up (laughs) so i think well he had he was i could see the gears grinding in his head and then the first response was like man, your, your melody is really boring on that or something like that. <laughs> <laughs> that's perfect. But, like, yeah, I was kind of relieved. I was like, oh, okay, that's his criticism of it. So, you know, yeah, it's better. It's better than, uh, go to your room and don't sing yeah. about parents ever again. Yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> I disown you. I disown you as a son. <laughs> right. Exactly. Um, and, and so you being kind of in the middle of your, um, you know, your, your siblings, uh, was it one of those things that do you feel like your older siblings, uh, reflected on you? Like, Oh, Milo, you have it so much easier. Cause my, the parent, my, our parents were more strict on us or was that just kind of like the way they handled all of you? 
Well, it was there was a bit of a dynamic, and that the reason why there the, there was a dynamic that existed because my two older brothers are my half brothers from my mom's previous marriage, and so they always did feel that they got kind of a not a fair shake from from their stepfather, uh, who you know made had preference for his younger biological kids. So there's definitely that there's a, there's definitely a an elephant in the room there. Where the old the older two kids did feel that, um, right? And but you know, I it's, it's we, as a kid, you don't really, you don't a you can't do anything about that as a kid, and then as an adult, you're kind of like, oh, that that's that ought to be water under the bridge, or there's nothing we can do about that now, you know? Yeah, bygones be bygones. But uh, you know, I think we we never had a lot of rancor at as as a kid, but as adults, there's some looking back and be like, uh, yeah, this didn't go exactly as planned, basically. So yeah. Right. Yeah. No, I totally get that. And, uh, I mean, since you were located in that particular area, did you, uh, you know, I guess enjoy the South Bay and kind of all that it offered, or did it feel that general suburban malaise that I know a lot of, uh, kids feel getting raised wherever they're coming up? Yeah, I was, I was kind of a, in high school, uh, kind of a shy kid, kind of a wallflower. And, you know, growing up in that area, that can be really exacerbated by if you don't kind of partake in all the typical South Bay, you know, teen, like cool guy activities, like surfing and hanging out at the beach. And I definitely, uh, I definitely didn't have a lot of use, a lot of time for just kind of like the, the hang at the beach hang. When I would go down to the beach, I would, I wouldn't even wear a bathing suit. I, I, I would just kind of go down because I was, I was work, I was working in, uh, in high school. I did some work as a senior and I would just wear my work, my work clothes down to the beach and just kind of, you know, uh, hang on the beach that way. And, and yeah, I wasn't surfing at the time. I had a very brief period of surfing. Um, but yeah, it was, I didn't, yeah, I never really fit into that whole Southern California surf culture. Um, and no one in the band really did, you know, Bill and Bill and Frank, they were more fishermen type. So, you know, that's, Something you can definitely do in the South Bay, but it's not the none of the cool people are going to be out fishing. They're going to be out surfing. So we we never really yeah we always we always kind of like you know we were we were always kind of like square pegs in the round holes kind of people. Sure, yeah, I mean especially too with that how that culture was becoming so um, you know popular from the underground perspective. You mean now where it's you know mainstream culture, but you truly felt like if you weren't doing that, then what other choice was there, but to, you know, try to like go golfing or whatever, like <laughs> there's no other option. <laughs> yeah. No, it's funny because, uh, because we didn't, because we never really fit in, we were drawn to each other. And so, and then, and then by being drawn to each other and having a mutual love of punk rock, you know, it, it, those, how that's how that relationship kind of blossomed. Like Bill, Bill and I both felt like outcasts and we both loved the germs. So, you know, we should just be in a band together. You know, that's the way, that's the way that goes. Yeah, absolutely. And, and I know that you've uh, spoken about, you know, how influential AM radio and K-Rock was to you getting into music and more specifically independent music. Um, was it just kind of the uh, natural, I guess, dissonance of like how different uh, styles of that music really kind of penetrated to you or what uh, attracted you to that stuff that was a little bit left of center? Well, I got into I got into punk through New Wave and specifically probably Devo. Um and so I think the listening to Devo 
they, you know, I, I felt like a kinship with them on the kind of nerd level. Cause I was a total nerd. And so, so then, uh, you know, I think moving from punk into, into, or sorry, moving from new wave into punk, I saw the same kind of, kind of outcast kind of thing. You know, you can be a nerd and listen to Devo. You, so you found your people, but in punk, you could find your people too. And the nice thing about punk is, is that you could be anything you wanted to be. That was the beauty of punk at that point. Uh, you know, in LA, especially, uh, you, this is prior to the, to the kind of the, to the skinheads taking it over, but mm-hmm. at least, at least in that ho- the Hollywood punk scene, there were so many different bands with of so many different flavors. And so you could be whoever you wanted to be. And I always felt that was a, one of the great things about punk rock. So that, that was, um, one attraction, but, but coming from new wave, uh, and, 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 and finding myself kind of more and more gravitating and more and more attracted to just harder, faster music. And, you know, D- Devo was the, Devo was the, uh, the kind of gateway, but I, the, 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 the Devo show that I went to in 1980, X opened up and then that, that, that was kind of where I, where I jumped, jumped over, you know, I, I was listening to new way, but then when I were first, you know, first I heard X and then, okay, well now I'm going to, now I'm going to listen to punk and heard X and I heard uh, the germs and I heard black flag and it was all over. I was just going to, you know, make this, make the switch. Um, so yeah, for me, it was like a, a kind of a continuum or a progression to wanting to listen to faster and faster and louder and harder music. And that was what did it for me. But if you layer on top of that, the fact that the, you had, I was moving from one kind of outcast or one kind of, uh, uh, uh yeah, kind of, a, a rebellious thing to a different rebellious thing, uh, kind of that that layers on top of it thank you very much to the fine people at rockabilia.com for supporting this podcast for as long as they have they are the finest purveyors of band merch on the internet bar none you can use this promo code 100 words or less it gets you 10 percent off your order do that and you will receive that offer plus you'll receive a bunch of officially licensed band merch from every band you could possibly imagine No joke, I know that sounds like maybe a bit of an exaggeration, but they have everything you could possibly want. Go onto the website, interact with it, have fun, order, use the promo code 100 words or less, you get 10% off your order, they ship it lickety-split to you, you're supporting an independent company, bands are getting paid from this, it is such a virtuistic cycle, that's not even a word, but you get what I'm saying, virtuous cycle, there we go. Please support them, support independent music, support bands because merch is so important i can't stress that enough but anyways thank you to the good people of rockabilia and again promo code 100 words or less 10 percent off your order let's go this show is sponsored by BetterHelp. we all want more time in our lives you know whether it's like dang i wish i had like another hour to you know play video games or read more or get outside or whatever it is i know myself that's I actually get questions a lot in regards to this podcast. How do you fit it in your day? And like, how do you do the interviews and all that stuff to be able to then balance the rest of my life from my work and, you know, playing in a band and I have a family, all of these things. But that is why therapy is so awesome because it helps you be able to sort out your life to focus on the things that for one really matter to you and two, Try to find more time for those things that you love. That is why I love working with BetterHelp. Because if you need to find a therapist, they're there for you. So give them a try. 
It's entirely online. It's designed to be convenient for you and they can be suited to your schedule. And you fill out a brief questionnaire, matches you up with your own personal therapist. And if you do not like that experience, you can switch it. No problem. No questions asked. It's great. So learn to make time for what makes you happy with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com slash Ray today to get 10% off of your first month. It's an offer just for you, the listener of this podcast. That's BetterHelp.com slash Ray. Discover BetMGM, the betting app sports fans in the Capital Region turn to for nonstop action all winter long. Take the excitement of football, basketball, and hockey to the next level with same-game parlays, exclusive signature bets, odds boost promos, and much more. Plus, now you can sign in, place bets, and manage your cash balance under the same BetMGM account in D.C., Maryland, and Virginia. With the same username and password throughout the DMV, it's never been easier to play with the king of sportsbooks. Download the BetMGM app today. BetMGM is an authorized gaming partner of the NBA and an official sports betting partner of the NHL. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly and offer resources to help you make appropriate choices. Please gamble responsibly. BetMGM.com for terms and conditions. Must be 21 years of age or older to wager. Washington, D.C. only. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Witness the dawning of a new era in automotive luxury with a reveal unlike any other as Infinity presents a new chapter in luxury the premiere of the all-new 2025 Infinity QX80 join us March 20th live from the edge at Hudson Yards in New York City featuring an unforgettable performance by Grammy and Academy Award winning singer songwriter and composer John Batiste the all-new Infinity QX80 is unlike any luxury SUV you've ever seen Smart enough to anticipate your needs, even before you do. Every line, curve, and detail was thoughtfully crafted, so everything for every passenger feels just right. Don't miss it. Mark your calendars and be the first to see it March 20th at 7 p.m. Eastern, only on iHeartRadio's YouTube channel. Save the date at new-qx80.com. 2025 QX80 coming this summer. Ray, absolutely. I mean, you can track the way that you were entering the music space by being like okay i like this and i'm not going to let this go but i want something a little bit more whether that's you know aggressive yeah. poppy whatever and yeah you you follow that path yeah and you and you end up identifying with certain music based upon either lyrics well the obviously the sounds but also the lyrics and in the case of devo it was the sounds the lyrics and the fact that these guys were total dorks and i thought yeah that's for me <laughs> So yeah, that's, that's how I ended up with that. Yeah. Right. And I, I would be, I mean, remiss if I did not mention, I mean, you know, I know Rodney and the rock was such a, a, a huge portal for you in introducing you to all these styles of music. And I just think that people that don't live in Southern California and don't have a really cool radio station that curates that stuff uh, is, you know, it, it, it's such a portal. Yeah. Yeah. And when I started listening to, or when I heard, when I first saw X, play opening for for devo i had no idea who the hell they were but i i had heard from someone oh yeah that band gets played on rodney's show all the time i go rodney who's that Rod- who's rodney so then i became a rodney fanatic and he was playing all the old x music the like the danger house stuff before they put out 
before they put out the record Los Angeles. And yeah, man, I just, I listened to all the time to Rodney and that's the first place I heard the germs and all these great bands I'd never heard before. So I became kind of a, you know, a Rodney, a Rodney aficionado. And then I started uh, taping it. And then I would, I, I got this gig playing, playing the tapes at school during, during lunch and during recess, uh, just over the, over the PA. So it was, I was being a DJ, just playing. I was kind of rehashing Rodney as a DJ at our, at our local high school, which was great, great fun too. That's, I, that's so incredible to be given the reins to that and be like, oh yeah, I'm just going to pretty much rip off what Rodney's doing because, uh, you know, none of the kids here know that. So I'm cool. Yeah, no, it was, it was like, it's like, I, I had, you know, I could have, I could have spun whatever, I could have played whatever, but it's like, no, I, the only music I want to play right now is whatever Rodney plays. That's it. <laughs> so I right. just, yeah, yeah. I love it. I love it. Um, school and education in general, just on the, from an outsider's perspective, seemed uh, important to you uh, just because you, you know, continued on and obviously got to, you know, degrees and you're a professional human being from a, uh, you know, paper slash diploma perspective. Uh, was that always kind of important to you and hardwired in you or was that just something where it's like well i i I like school so i'm going to continue along with it well i think like going back to my parents i kind of feel like they they were definitely kind of they had that underlying kind of expectation and i wasn't i wasn't necessarily uh i i didn't really have a like a drive to do anything specifically uh, after, after, after high school, except that, except that I got, uh, I had at one point I had to give a, a, an oral presentation in high school about, about some, some issue of biology in the bio, my biology class. And I did it on DNA and then I hit upon, Oh, DNA is cool. And that's when I decided, you know, if I'm going to go do something after high school, I, I it's better, it, it may as well just be something about DNA. Cause I want, at that point I figured, well, I'll go, I'll go to, I'll go to, uh, I'll go be a, a student. Uh, I'll go to college and be and study biology, and speci- specifically DNA. It was it was the thing. So yeah, I think uh, it was it, it was something that that kind of took off at the same time for me that music took off in terms of my interest in it. And the two things kind of went in parallel. Like yeah, punk rock is my be all end all, but so is DNA of all things. You know, DNA is the thing. And so so that was that's how that got kind of got going. But it was definitely something that it took me. I mean. It, it was something that kicked in maybe senior year of high school. Prior to that, I had no clue. I figured, well, maybe I need to go to college, but I don't know what it's going to be. But then it, once I, once I'd honed in on what I wanted to do, it, it kind of became that much easier just to kind of, you know, make the long-term commitment to it. Right. Yeah. Well, it's, it's cool that you were able to balance both of those things in your head, because I know that there, especially at that time when punk was emerging, it was so nihilistic and, you know, live fast, die young scenario. Just that idea of like, oh, education is important. Like clearly those two things did not match up. So you were able to navigate that for yourself. Yeah. I think uh, we've never really, you know, never dressed the part, never dressed the punk part. Yep. never really ascribed to any of that kind of like take drugs or whatever. And so when I told Bill that I was, Hey, I'm going to go, could go to college. He was like, cool, you know, <laughs> thumbs up to you. You know, I think he, he fully grasped that a, it was something important to me, but B, you know, it, it just was so such a natural kind of progression for me. And, and he, he saw that as, as that way, it, it, because the, the way I was with the band was, I was 
I was uh, the most anti-punk, anti-rock frontman that you could ever imagine. So yeah, of course I'm going to go do something, you know, very anti-punk or very, very kind of nerdy. That's that's just part part of my DNA at that point. Yeah, totally. Yeah, you were just like, if I were to do this, that would be like punk against myself, and that doesn't even make sense, right? Yeah. <laughs> um, I know a lot is made about the uh, Los Angeles punk scene in regards to being incredibly violent. And like you mentioned previously with skinheads, um, I'm guessing that you were seeing a lot of that. And I know that some of that was uh, directed into the fact that clearly descendants never had a vibe of any threatening aura. (laughs) Um, Do you think that all that was kind of combined into the fact that you guys had no, um, you know, not a mean bone in your body in regards to that? I think it really just reflects that that the music when we when we were getting into this stuff, it was all about the music, and there was just zero about anything else. So you get into a band, you go see them play live, and what you know, what are you going to do? Show up with ch- chains and and like try to beat you off? No, you're going to go sit at the front of the stage and absorb you know the magic on stage, absorb absorb this band that you you know you love. And so I went to a lot of shows where. I would just plant myself at the, at the front of the stage, be watching the band and all in all kinds of mayhem and violence is happening around behind me. Of course, these days you just call that legitimate political discourse, but it, it was, it was definitely something that was, that was, that was happening behind me that was violent. And, uh, I would just, I would just, uh, ignore it and just kind of go and just kind of, uh, listen to the band. So that was, it was something that, uh, that, uh, wasn't really, it was something that would happen that happened for me. It was subsidiary. And, uh, you know, I, I think people who, people who got into punk just to beat people up they're they're not really, you know, they're not really useful punk fans to me. Right. Yeah. It's like they could have appended themselves to anything that could inspire them to, you know, or be bullies in a different circumstance. So yeah, you're, you're very right. Yeah. Um, I know, like you were mentioning, you've been open about your lack of confidence and, you know, wallflower nature and uh, use the band to be able to help you kind of, you know, grow up and interact with people uh, more freely. Uh, Did you feel that confidence bleeding over to other aspects of your life? Like once the band started to, you know, play out and play some shows, did you feel a little bit more, I guess, comfortable in your own skin as you existed in other more quote unquote normal circumstances? Yeah, I mean, I think once once we uh, once I'd gotten a few shows under my belt, you kind of you learn to kind of uh, re- revel in the moment and not be distracted by your own um, your own shyness or your own nervousness. And of course, you can use that nervousness to your own benefit. Uh, the, you know, so the first couple of shows, I was kind of you know staring at the ground, you know, not even facing the audience. But then uh, I learned how to. Uh, to just use the nervousness to my advantage and kind of act out on, on, you know, part of nervousness, of course, is just being jittery and we would drink a bunch of coffee and I just use all that jitteriness on stage to kind of like kind of amp out a little bit and go crazy. And that was how I kind of got past that part of it. And then part of it is part of it is also is like, if if you're, if you're worried about what people think about you, then you're just going to stare at the ground. But if you're, if you don't give a fuck who, when anyone thinks, then you're just going to use that nervousness for good. You're going to be using it for, 
for uh, making a great show and just and just having fun basically and that's kind of what i what i did is is i got past that you know maybe in the first few shows um and then you know we, we when you play throughout the states you just kind of you kind of learn to uh you know if it's a if it's a lot if there's a lot of people in the audience then i i learned if you've got a lot of people in the audience then you may as well just make a big party out of it and just kind of you know that's that's where it's a f- kind of a little celebration. If there's not that many people in the audience, then you just kind of make a party out of it with the people on stage, and and that's we would just kind of you know make a great show. And so that, I think regardless, we just wanted to kind of make a good show, and and you know that was that was a the extent of it. So yeah, it's it. I got over it pretty quick. I think. Right. Yeah, and especially too with I I think that idea of. Because I, I think, I mean, most people that get attracted to subcultures, there is a love, implicit level of, of shyness that exists. But then the idea of once you find your peers and this secret society, you're comfortable around them. And then in some respects, that will also, you know, once you're existing out in the real world, people will be able to, or you'll be able to exist amongst them a little bit more comfortable because you're like, yeah, I got this whole secret world over here you guys don't know about. Yeah. And you know, when you, and that's the thing is like when you play to a fairly empty room, you could be all glum about the fact that no one came to your show or you can try to make the drummer laugh, you know, and so, right. so you know, or, or, or perform for the drummer, you know? And so I would, I would do, we would do a lot of that where we're just kind of performing for each other. And that, you know, it, that, that, that made it all worthwhile too. So even if no one appreciated it out in the audience, it doesn't really matter. Right. Totally. You're like, yeah, this is kind of like practice for us, uh, practice slash comedy routine. So we're here for it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, as, uh, you know, you started to put out records and, and become, for lack of a better term, a more quote unquote serious band as far as, you know, touring and all that stuff was concerned. Um, when did you kind of notice that people were paying attention, whether it was the fact that, you know, you guys were able to get on larger shows within the greater Southern California area, or was it, you know, when you started to release full lengths and like, I, I know it, like crystallizing into one moment is difficult, but you know, were there moments in your head where it's like, wow, like w- people are actually paying attention to what we were doing. Yeah. I mean, it was kind of, I don't think it happened at any one show, but the, the audiences grew bigger and bigger. Now we, we toured the U S several times. And the first time you go out, you, 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 you do deal with a lot of kind of empty rooms. And, um, but I guess the thing is, is even on that first tour, we would play a place like New York, the bigger cities, you'd play a place in New York and people would show up and then it would be like, okay, that made up for the fact that nobody showed up in Nebraska or whatever. Nobody showed up in Oklahoma, but people did show up in, in New York. And so, yeah, I think it, it, it definitely, it was kind of a, I don't think it was any one particular moment where it was like, Oh, we've made it or whatever, anything like that. But, but, uh, it, uh, yeah. And then, and then more recently, I'd say in the, in, in this century, 2011, probably the crystallizing moment when we came back in 2011 was, the very first show we played back, we played at the fun, fun, fun fest in, in Texas. And it was like, you know, we strike that first chord and there's thousands of people out there. And then you kind of go, wow, it did. It, it was like, we, it, it really brought home that, that we're, they, we could still do it and that people still cared, you know, people still wanted to see us. And so, yeah, it was, it was, that was kind of a, 
maybe a, a crystallizing moment for me. Like, cause when you, cause we hadn't played in 2011, we hadn't played before that in like eight, eight or eight years or so to come back and not, and not to know whether anyone even cared about us anymore. And, th- but then to kind of, you know, have that kind of response was just kind of mind blowing. It was, uh, it, it was, it, it, it pretty much jump started the, the, I would say the kind of permanent res- resurrection of the band to this day where we're just like, you know, well, why, we're, why take, why take any more time off from this thing? Because, it's uh, it's all good. It's uh, you know, it's 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 just been one good time after another. So we'll just keep doing it. Yeah, absolutely. And I think it is. I mean, because I've definitely seen you in in uh, different iterations. As far as I mean, I think the first time I saw you was in uh, San Bernardino with like uh, gutter mouth and <laughs> strife, and I want to say voodoo glow skulls, but I mean that was a very large show. I mean, I was like you know a thousand plus people, but it, it did feel different when you guys uh you know quote unquote came back and like you said resurrected where it's like i saw you at one of the riot fests in chicago or whatever but the um the palpable energy and i think frankly appreciation that people had where it was like oh wow like this can be a regular part of my life now as opposed to like maybe i would have been able to you know see obviously a documentary from you guys at one point and that was kind of it yeah it's yeah i think uh we we've come and we've gone we've and we've we've been away for a while and we've come back and every time we've come back it's it's always that's always been the thing of of whether it's gonna still resonate but it still does and so it's been real gratifying it's been one of the surprises of my life that i can just keep keep coming back to this it's like an endless font of of just good good vibes so uh you know for the time being we're just not we're not going to there's no point in like setting it aside anymore. I've done plenty of that in my life of just kind of like trying to shelve music. And now it's like, no, we're just going to do this. all the Right. Time. <laughs> it's like, hey, hey, Milo, pay attention to us over here. Right. <laughs> yeah. And of course, the pan- pandemic really solidified that too, because the pandemic meant that I couldn't do it anymore. And I was, we were withering on the vine again. It was like, oh no, you know? Yeah. And so I think, uh, you know, I think a lot of bands came, came back from the pandemic probably with a lot more appreciation for just playing live. Like, yeah, we got to go play live now because it's, it's, it's been such a lean couple of years of just not, just not even, not even getting to interact with all of the people, you know? So. Yeah, absolutely. And I, I think to that point as well, where, you guys, in, in my opinion, the uh, aging gracefully <laughs> within the context of punk and hardcore, like that's difficult because the person you were when you were 16 years old and writing songs is much different as a, you know, 20, 30, 40 year old, 50 year old. And I, I think the fine line that you guys have walked on where it's like, yes, we're still just a bunch of silly nerds playing in a punk band but not singing about the exact same things. Uh, I- I'm sure that's a very deliberate and conscious thought that you have where it's like, yes, we can still make fart jokes, but like they're a little bit more elevated than they were yeah. in the past. Yeah. I, I mean, I think the, the, the subject, we can only write about our lives. And so I think as, as, as our lives get, as our lives change and, you know, we start to age that, then I think that the, 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 the subject matter is going to be reflective of that. But having said that, I still like I still like to bash out the same four chords, and I still you know I, I'll you know I haven't written a, a fart a fart song recently, but I'm sure there's one in my future. <laughs> sure, yeah, you're like I'm not I'm not closing that opportunity out, but yeah, yeah. just the because I, I think it does it, it becomes one of those things where you don't want to 
you know, be this like cliche on top of a cliche of yourself where it's like, Oh, I'm mimicking my 20 year old self where it's like, well, I'm not exactly that same person, but yeah. So I, I I understand where you're coming from. Yeah. I mean, there's, there's certain subject matters that just have to change. Like I can't be writing about dating a 16 year old girl anymore. That's not going to go over so well, (laughs) but I can still write about farting because everyone likes to fart. I'll probably, I'll probably be on my deathbed and I'll probably fart and laugh. You know, that'll be, That'll, so that just goes to show you, fart jo- the, the fart song will never go a- away from our repertoire, no doubt. No, for sure. It's timeless. Yeah, it's a, that is the legacy that will be uh, etched on your tombstone. Yep. <laughs> maybe, maybe. Fingers crossed. <laughs> Shout out to the boys and girls over at the Pure Noise Records compound because they are releasing Terror's eighth full length. Unbelievable, right? The record is called Pain Into Power, and go to purenoise.net. First and foremost, you'll be able to see all of the awesome vinyl packaging and pre-orders that they have going on there. But let's be honest, if you have not listened to Terror, you are completely missing out. But what makes this record very, very unique and special is because they teamed up with their founding guitarist, Todd Jones, who plays in Nails, also played in Carry On. I could go even deeper, but I'm not going to do that. But uh, he also produced the record, and it's really, really exceptional. So let's listen to a song called Boundless Contempt. We'll just a little sample of it, and then hold on for some more details. There we go. Just, you, you want to circle pit, you want to mosh, you want to do all of it. But like I said, Terror's new record comes out on May 6th on Pure Noise Records. It's called Pain Into Power. Visit purenoise.net. They have a bunch of sweet guest spots from Madison from Year the Knife, Crystal Park from Initiate, and Cannibal Corpses, George Corpse Grinder Fisher. I mean, it's great. So go to purenoise.net, find out more information, pre-order it, pre-save it, do what you need to. Discover BetMGM, the betting app sports fans in the Capital Region turn to for nonstop action all winter long. Take the excitement of football, basketball, and hockey to the next level with same-game parlays, exclusive signature bets, odds boost promos, and much more. Plus, now you can sign in, place bets, and manage your cash balance under the same BetMGM account in D.C., Maryland, and Virginia. With the same username and password throughout the DMV, it's never been easier to play with the king of sportsbooks. Download the BetMGM app today. BetMGM is an authorized gaming partner of the NBA and an official sports betting partner of the NHL. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly and offer resources to help you make appropriate choices. Please gamble responsibly. BetMGM.com for terms and conditions. Must be 21 years of age or older to wager. Washington, D.C. only. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Witness the dawning of a new era in automotive luxury with a reveal unlike any other as infinity presents a new chapter in luxury the premiere of the all-new 2025 infinity qx80 join us march 20th live from the edge at hudson yards in new york city featuring an unforgettable performance by grammy and academy award-winning singer songwriter and composer john batiste the all-new infinity qx80 is unlike any luxury suv you've ever seen Smart enough to anticipate your needs, even before you do. Every line, curve, and detail was thoughtfully crafted so everything for every passenger feels just right. Don't miss it. 
Mark your calendars and be the first to see it March 20th at 7 p.m. Eastern, only on iHeartRadio's YouTube channel. Save the date at new-qx80.com. 2025 QX80 coming this summer. This episode is brought to you by Navy Federal Credit Union. At Navy Federal, it's been the mission to help the military community for over 90 years. And not just help them, but do everything to make sure they not only grow, but flourish. That's why Navy Federal Credit Union has all kinds of great savings and investment options, like share certificates with sky-high rates. So don't hesitate. Start growing your finances today with a variety of savings and investment options. Navy Federal Credit Union. Our members are the mission. Savings products insured by NCUA. Investment products are not insured. Not obligations of Navy Federal and may lose value. Like you said, your your, your parents were very permissive in regards to you exploring all of these uh, interesting opportunities and, you know, touring and doing, being active with the band. Uh when when they started to interact with you, like, you know, seeing you play live and then seeing you, you know, being able to attract crowds and everything, do you think there was there a sense of pride attached to it? Or was there just kind of like, well, as long as Milo's safe, like, that's all we really care about? I think for my mom, there was definitely a sense of pride. My my dad, it's he's just so, he was so um, coming from a different world musically. I mean, he's full on classical music guy really had no use for anything that was rock and roll. It was classical only for him. Mm-hmm. So he, he was kind of like, yeah, cool, whatever. But my mom, she would definitely, uh, you know, she would come to the, some of the shows. Um, she's too old now to come to any shows, but she, she, even as a 70 or 80 year old, she had been to some shows. Um, and, yeah, she does the thing of like meeting someone, like she'll just meets, she'll see someone in the street with a mohawk and be like, you know what, my my son, you know, and doing that whole thing, like, my son's in this band, you know, and I'm just like, mom, you know, so she's, she definitely, you know, she, she's proud of it. And, and, and that, that's nice for me to hear, you know, yeah. Even though, even though it can be embarrassing, obviously, but uh, no, it's, 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 it's been good. I mean, uh, she's, uh, I, I think she, she sees it as something that I, that I kind of, um, I, I, I did as, a hobby, but that I, I applied myself successfully to it as a hobby. And so I was, I, and so I was able to kind of, um, you know, place it in the right context. I mean, I think if I would have gone all in at age 17, she might've been like, Hmm, is this, you know, cause I, like I said, I, I went to this community college for a year and she, and she was like, what are you doing? You know, I think she definitely had designs on me being like a, you know, like an academic, not so much on me being a punk rocker, but in the aftermath, I think she could see that both, both things were legitimate, uh, endeavors for sure. That's really cool. The, I, I like how you articulated the 11, the, uh, or the, the trajectory that they saw was valid on both paths as opposed to, you know, like, yes, here's your professional life. And then here's this dumb band life. Like as long as it takes up 5% of your time, then yeah. we're okay with it. That's cool. No, I think because I think my mom, especially, uh, she saw it as a creative outlet. That's the thing is that, is that, you know, regardless of, of, you know, what the, you know, what, you know, they say about punk rock, oh, it's this dirty, whatever drug laden thing. She saw the creative outlet that it could be for me. And so, uh, and I think, I think she, she had to kind of give it, she had to kind of give it the, the, it's due respect as being a creative outlet. And, and, uh, you know, that, that, so that, kind of that was something where she could tip her hat to me in terms of that like yeah you've got you've got a nice creative outlet here so yeah that was that worked out yeah the stamp of approval yeah that makes sense 
um, when, uh, when business started to, you know, become more of a part of the band's life, you know, I mean, and I use maybe the word business in air quotes because, you know, once you started getting paid, like, oh, wow, we got paid $300 for a show. That's like business, even though you're not articulating it as such. Um, how did, and like you said, um, you know, Bill was the primary driver behind that, but how did you personally interact with the, uh, business of music? Was it one of those things that you wanted to keep it far away from you just because you liked your role within the band or how did that kind of ping pong around your head? Well, I, you know, I feel like, I feel like maybe, uh, I, I probably didn't, I probably didn't do as much as I could have business-wise I left it all up to Bill and, and you know looking back he he definitely had more he just had more kind of um kind of zest for that part of it than I did and so I just kind of let him take care of it but and you know I think also what that means is that he also had to had to deal with a, a lot of the in the during the downturns try to you know who's going to get paid and who's not but yeah I think um I think uh it was I probably, I don't really know if I have a good sense for business. It's not something that really, uh, part, part reason in order to have a good sense for something in order to have a good business sense, you have to care. And I just don't care, <laughs> you know? Right. I, I, of course I care. I care about making a living doing music at this point. I probably back in the eighties, I didn't care about making a living doing music. And, and in the nineties barely cared about making a living doing, doing music. But, uh, you know, in my, in my later years, it's like, yeah, I want to make a living doing this. And so then, uh, I, I do have, I do have some involvement in all that, but, uh, yeah, I, th- I think, I, I guess I feel a little bit bad about saddling bill with all of it because, because it makes, it makes him, th- it makes him the kind of like focal point of, of all the punk purists who, who might think, oh, you guys are sellouts or whatever. You know, but we're not sellouts. We just want to make a living doing it. We're not, we're not looking to get rich. We just, we just want to, you know, do what we love and, 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 and not have to kind of work at Kinko's, uh, in, in addition to that, you know, and so, right. that, but I think that he probably had, he probably f- had to take the brunt of that because I was off just doing my own thing. I was doing science or whatever. And occasionally I roll in and pl- we play some shows and, you know, I've, I've never, I've never been, um, I've never been a person who relied on music to, to, to make money. And, uh, it just so happens that now I can make a living doing it. And so I don't know what that means. I, I don't know what the, does that, does that mean that I'm more of a pure, of a pure musician? I don't know. It's, uh, it's, 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 these are all philosophical questions that I don't have a good answer for. Cause I, I know that now, especially post pandemic, I, I feel very strongly that, that, you know, people ought to be able to make money playing music. <laughs> no, absolutely. And I, I mean, I, I think that concept of uh, selling out now is, you know, not even, yeah, uh, it's not even part of the uh, vernacular that people use, like selling out as being like, oh, you know, if Descendants put out their next record, and it sounded like, you know, you guys were rapping or, you know, doing something that was more quote unquote yeah. modern, like that's, that's a sellout move, but nothing else. Yeah, I, I, yeah. I completely agree. No, but, but it's, it's yeah. funny, but the thing is, is I, I was, I, I think I've evolved through the years to, to be much more kind of like, you know, this is a, this is a musician's right. But back in the eighties, I felt like, you know, I was like, 
no, we shouldn't be making t-shirts. <laughs> this kind of, I actually was like, no, no t-shirts. So I was being kind of a dick about it, you know, back then. And, and I think Bill, 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 he had more of a vision. He was the visionary and he's like, no, we can sell this. Like we sold, we sold like bonus cups and I look back now and think, oh, that was genius. But at the time I was like, oh, we're just capitalizing on, you know, our, our music to sell, to sell a product. You know, I was just being a dick. So, right, right. Back now and realize that. Well, but I mean, to maybe I'm giving you a pass here, but like that was clearly a time and place in which bands had to be way more considered about that because there were all these other implications that existed. Because it's like, oh, yeah, like, you know, selling a six dollar t shirt, like, oh my God, you know, we can't yeah. do that. And so it's like now, you know, people, $20 t shirts are common. It's not even a problem. Yeah, yeah. Back then, it was like the the maximum rock and roll thing of like they they'd really harsh on you for doing that kind of stuff. You know, absolutely right. Yeah, you'd have a target on your back if you put a barcode on the record. Obviously, yeah. Yeah. Uh, um, and uh, kind of you know uh, pivoting that into like you were saying the you know pursuit of higher education and science, and that was always uh, part of who you are and who you who who you are now and who you were, um, and that brought you interacting with a lot of, you know, civilians and people in uh, gen pop, as I like to say, and in a non pejorative way, mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, how did they react once they, you know, got to know you a little bit and found out that it's like, what do you mean? Do you, pl- you sing in a band Milo? Like, what the hell is this? Um, did they find it just like humorous or it like hardly ever came up in the real world? Well, I think probably, uh, it, it, it rarely came up except that when I got my permanent job in science, which was at DuPont, and this would have been in the early two thousands. Yep. Um, they, the, the, uh, the, uh, the guy that was all slated to hire me, I went to go give a job interview there. And he said, he said, uh, uh, Oh, I hear you playing this band. And I go, yeah, yeah. We're going to go, we're playing a show, uh, tomorrow night actually. And he got this weird kind of look in his eye, like, Oh really? <laughs> and the next thing I go, next thing I know, I go to the show the next day. It was actually an all show, but I was going to be on stage with all for a little bit. Right. The next thing I think I, I go to the show and, and he's waiting in the in line to get into the show. This, this guy that was supposed to hire me. And so he sees me play the next night and then decides to hire me. So I feel like, you know, I, I must've impressed him on stage, I guess for him to hire me the next day. Um, so yeah, there was, there was definitely, um, there was definitely uh, uh, like a, a notion of of like, wow, this guy does different kind of stuff. And I guess it made me that much more hireable. To him, it made me that much more interesting as a, as a candidate for that job. And uh, so it, it worked out well for me there in terms, of, in terms of that. So he was my best boss I ever had because he, he saw me for who I was, which was, yeah, I was a scientist, but I was this guy who, who wanted to do things create. I wanted to do do creative things, whether it be in science or whether it be in music. And he could see that, that maybe if he hired me in, in a science that I can do some creative stuff. So I hope I didn't let him down. I don't know. Yeah. I, I really like that idea of being able to combine the disciplines because you are coming at it from two different angles of like, yes, I like science, but at the same time I exist in this creative world where I do think that you know, people do tend to stick in their lanes and then not like there's anything wrong with that. But then when you're not crossing these, you know, interesting worlds, you might not, you you might just have a typical reaction, which isn't bad, but it's not, you know, the outside of the box, quote unquote, thinkers that people might be looking for. 
Yeah. I mean, I think uh, science requires obviously someone to be technical, but, you know, believe it or not, you have to be creative in science too. And I think uh, that's, that was one thing that I felt like I could, I could bring to the table is, is I could bring a certain element of creativity to the science. And, and uh, you know, that, that was something where uh probably, I probably gave short shrift to the technical side of it. I was a little, maybe a little too creative and not technical enough in the end, but, uh, that, that, but also science requires you to be, have enthusiasm. And so I, I, I brought a lot of enthusiasm to science and I brought a lot of creativity and a, I'd say a modicum of tech, technical prowess and it helped me out in the long run. But yeah, I think, uh, it's, it's something that I, I always talk about. People always think, well, these two things are so disparate from each other, but no, they, they, they have the, they share a fair amount of overlap in terms of, in terms of the creative aspect of them. You have to be creative in both. And also the other aspect where science and music shares is that you have this notion of in science, you are, you're always trying to up, up overturn the apple cart. You're trying to kind of, you're trying to kind of uh, change what the status quo is in, ter- in terms of if, if there's some common fact out there, but there's evidence to support the to support a different claim, then you can do the experiments to test that alternative hypothesis, and that becomes something where you're challenging the status quo, which is what we like to do in punk too. So, yeah. yeah. Oh no, you 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 hit that nail right on the head, and I, I think that's like you said that makes you more successful in both fields because you can you cannot be just this a typical person in either or. And like, that's what, you know, like that's there. No, you have never been interviewed and people have not brought up science. (laughs) That's just, you know, and so it's, yeah. Um, there is this kind of interesting, uh, sort of, you know, ego worship that exists in being a singer of a band not so much from the person that is the singer, but clearly a lot of people pay attention to the vocalist of most bands, you know, especially, um, within the rock world as it were. Uh, and you have always been so self-deprecating where you're just like, ah, listen, I'm this idiot carrying around this water bottle of glasses. Like, come on, like, I'm not cool in any respect. Um, I, and to where it doesn't like any sort of ego worship doesn't stick on you. Uh, was that how, like, was that kind of a defense mechanism from the get go where it's like, listen, I'm not cool. I'm doing this pretty much <laughs> since the inception of the band. Or is that something you kind of had to like learn to put in because you didn't want people thinking of you in those terms? No, it's just really a self-awareness because I think about when you get down to the tech, the kind of like the nuts and bolts of who writes the music, who, who's the kind of ringleader, all that kind of stuff that none of that's me. I write some percentage of the music. I, I write probably a quarter of the music, no more, no less. So I think that's, it's just, it's, it's basically stating the, the reality of the situation. Of course, it'd be different if I, if I was the sole songwriter, and then I could be like, yeah, well, I'm, I'm, I'm the dude, you know, but I'm not the dude. I'm, I'm, I'm the one of four dudes. And, and that's, there's no, I feel like if I were to say anything other than that, then it, then it really, it doesn't reflect the reality of it. You know, we've got four songwriters in this band and we all, and we all, you know, write songs together. And, and, um, uh, I think that's that's just something that has to be. What I found is that you have to kind of reiterate that point quite a bit because as you you're, because you're right, people want to focus on the song on the on the singer as being oh he must be writing all the songs. Yeah, and the thing is is I I am singing other people's lyrics. I'm singing Bill's lyrics. I'm singing uh, Carl's lyrics. Um, I don't sing too many of Stefan's lyrics because he doesn't write too many lyrics. But um, 
right. at any rate, uh, it's, it's, the, that's something that people, you know, they get wrong, but it's, it's natural for them to get it wrong because, because I'm the voice of the band. So the voice must be the person who comes up with all the thoughts, but of course that's not the way it works, you know? Yeah, no, absolutely. The, that composite nature, I think you said it well of like, this is all of us. And I understand that you, the general public is not going to maybe look at, uh, all the individuals in the same way that you look at, you know, the person at center stage yelling into a microphone, but you yourself can feel more comfortable existing as this unit, as opposed to like, Oh, well, of course, like everyone's going to pay attention to me because I'm the coolest. Yeah. And the thing is, is I, 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 I do, I am proud of the fact that I'm able to interpret their words too, because I mean, I think there's a lot of maybe bands out there where the, it's like, uh, may, maybe the, the vocalists, like I got to write all the lyrics, you know, cause I got to get behind them, but I can get behind lyrics from Bill and I can get behind lyrics from Carl just cause we have that affinity for each other where we, you know, kind of, you know, finish each other's sentences or whatever. We, we, we really see eye to eye on so many issues and, and we really, uh, you know, we, we have a shared experience. And so I have no problem singing their lyrics because it's just like an extension of my personality to sing their lyrics. Uh, it, you know, and I feel like that's been the case all along when I joined the band, they, they'd already, they already had a full set of songs before I'd even joined. That was that, that I that had been written by me. So I got very proficient at, and very comfortable at singing other people's words and just kind of interpreting them and, projecting them in my in my whatever voice i gave them yeah absolutely it makes sense uh, a few more things i want to pull on before i let you go the um you know the influence that uh, descendants have had in regards to you know punk and that whole subculture uh, is pretty undeniable and i'm not just saying that to gas you up but um, especially coming from where you guys came from and the um you know limited uh the limited scope that you were uh, focused on as you were beginning the band. Um, so now that you have clearly more perspective on it uh, now than you did, you know, even 10 to 15 years ago when the band was in that, you know, sort of hiatus stasis. Uh, is it one of those things like, do you reflect on the legacy at all when people, uh, you know, put a question like this towards you? Or is it basically just like, I, I just kind of keep, keep on keeping on because this is obviously still fun uh or, or are you reflective do you like to look back i guess i should say i mean the only the only way i'm reflective is 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 out of pure gratitude because i feel like we none of this was planned it was it was like i'm gonna leave the band in 82 and i'm gonna leave the band in 86 and i'm or 87 and i'm gonna you know re rejoin in 95 or 96 and then leave again in 90 so it just goes on and on. Right. But no, so the fact that we're here in the here and now, and it's just like, you mean people still want to hear my band? So I, it's still just, it's, it's just I'm very grateful. And that's all I can feel. I can't really, I can't really pin down, you know, the, the why, the, the why it all works out that way. Um, you know, I think we've written some songs, I think that have some, lasting some lasting uh, uh impressions on people that's great you know um but but i'm sure there's plenty of the bands out there who have written equally good songs that are not in our position so i just it's just a, i've been very grateful about all of it and that's the only way i reflect on it any more any more reflection than that 
then I probably would just um, get it all wrong, you know, or it's just almost impossible for me to try to figure out the whys and the wherefores. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. I mean, plus that's not your job. That's uh, other people's jobs. (laughs) (laughs) Oh my, the good people at Louisville Vegan Jerky Co. are back. I am thrilled to say that this jerky is hands down the best jerky I've ever had in my life. That's even for, from a person who, I mean, I haven't eaten meat in 25 some odd years, but I remember I used to like beef jerky when I was like, you know, 11 years old and, uh, reflecting on that experience back then. And then having this vegan jerky now, it's like, dude, doesn't even hold a candle to it. So go just Google the company. You'll be able to find them very easily. Louisville vegan jerky. You can follow them on all the socials, but they have so many amazing flavors. My personal favorite, the smoky barbecue. Oh, man, it is so good. But they have pepperoni. They got black pepper. They got buffalo dill. And plus, they put out these really limited edition batches that I have been, they've been blowing my mind. They actually did a collab with the awesome band Man Man that uh, it's like a, like a chili thing. Oh my gosh, it's so good. But trust me. You can order this stuff and you will enjoy it. I, I got it from my parents. I got it from my dad, who's like a total carnivore and is like, oh man, vegan jerky. I don't even know about this. Gave it to him, loved it. So whether you're a vegan, vegetarian, or you just like good snacks in general, Louisville Vegan Jerky is the way to go. Go to their website, find out more and order their starter pack. That's probably the best way to go. You get a you get three flavors and uh, yeah, you'll be able to enjoy it all. So thank you, Louisville Vegan Jerky Co. for the best food and supporting this podcast. Discover BetMGM, the betting app sports fans in the Capital Region turn to for nonstop action all winter long. Take the excitement of football, basketball, and hockey to the next level with same game parlays, exclusive signature bets, odds boost promos, and much more. Plus, now you can sign in, place bets, and manage your cash balance under the same BetMGM account in D.C., Maryland, and Virginia. With the same username and password throughout the DMV, it's never been easier to play with the king of sportsbooks. Download the BetMGM app today. BetMGM is an authorized gaming partner of the NBA and an official sports betting partner of the NHL. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly and offer resources to help you make appropriate choices. Please gamble responsibly. BetMGM.com for terms and conditions. Must be 21 years of age or older to wager. Washington, D.C. only. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Witness the dawning of a new era in automotive luxury with a reveal unlike any other as Infinity presents a new chapter in luxury the premiere of the all-new 2025 Infinity QX80. Join us March 20th live from the edge at Hudson Yards in New York City, featuring an unforgettable performance by Grammy and Academy Award-winning singer, songwriter, and composer, John Batiste. The all-new Infinity QX80 is unlike any luxury SUV you've ever seen. Smart enough to anticipate your needs, even before you do. Every line, curve, and detail was thoughtfully crafted so everything for every passenger feels just right. Don't miss it. Mark your calendars and be the first to see it March 20th at 7 p.m. Eastern, only on iHeartRadio's YouTube channel. Save the date at new-qx80.com. 2025 QX80 coming this summer. 
This episode is brought to you by Navy Federal Credit Union. At Navy Federal, it's been the mission to help the military community for over 90 years. And not just help them, but do everything to make sure they not only grow, but flourish. That's why Navy Federal Credit Union has all kinds of great savings and investment options, like share certificates with sky-high rates. So don't hesitate. Start growing your finances today with a variety of savings and investment options. Navy Federal Credit Union. Our members are the mission. Savings products insured by NCUA. Investment products are not insured. Not obligations of Navy Federal and may lose value. Because you have had these, uh, you know, starts and stops within the uh, context of the band and, you know, even like, I, I mean, I remember distinctly, like you were talking about previously, where you were popping on stage with all like i remember a show at the roxy where i saw all and you came and sang three or four songs at the end um because you've had that aspect of seeing these different eras um was there a time that felt more um like you were surprised when you did come back and return where it was just like i know every time was probably like whoa this is wild i can't believe this is happening um was there a time it was more uh, you know, I guess stark in contrast as far as either the crowd reactions or just the way that people were, um, you know, perceiving and holding up uh, descendants towards you. I guess it probably was the 2011 time because when we came back in 96, that kind of, that was kind of like a, yeah, that, that made a little bit more sense in terms of, you know, these bands, the pop punk thing had gotten pretty big green day offspring rancid. And we were coming back and saying, Hey, remember us, you know? And so, yeah, yeah, cool. Join, join the party. So that was cool in 96, but to do it in 2011 was completely. And that was then, like I said, at least eight years, it was eight years before our last show, but it was actually probably more like 15 years since our, since we toured at all. Um, and so 15 years after any major tour to come back in, in 2011 was kind of like, I just didn't know, had no idea what to expect. And that pretty much blew my mind, uh, you know, to, to have that happen. Um, right, right. Yeah. There's just, just be being able to be like, listen, there's no reason you should care about us, but like, you yeah. still here. Okay. Yeah, still here. And we were subbing at that point we were subbing in for Devo. So I was like, oh man, how can we sub in for Devo? Come on. <laughs> So it was kind of a dream come true for me. Like, yeah, we're subbing in for Devo, but and we even played we even played uh, uh, "Uncontrollable Urge" as one of our songs. We're like, this is right. awesome Devo. They, I think uh, Bob One had broken his arm or something like that, and they couldn't they couldn't play. So we played "Uncontrollable Urge" in their honor. But it was just like uh, you know, it was like coming back after that long and having it be this just humongous you know festival show, and just it was pretty special. And I think that's what's kind of like I said, that's that's kind of fueled the the kind of i think permanence of what we're doing now it's just like you know we should just we should just all die on stage at this point let's just keep playing and we'll just all kind of croak on stage or just kind of like you know someone's going to have an arm fall off and then we'll just have to quit but there's 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 no reason to kind of make some kind of conscious decision of oh we're not going to do this anymore because we don't want to it's pretty clear we want to Right. Exactly. Yeah. It's like there's, there is, unless you are physically unable to perform your duties, you are yeah. here. Right. Here. <laughs> um, and, and kind of 
tangential to that, but I think interesting is the idea because you guys uh, have existed for so long and you have had all of these random, you know, entry points to your band, kind of like what you were talking about at the very uh, beginning of the conversation. Um, is there a, uh, you know, particular uh, pop culture piece of ephemera that people have found out about you guys from that you were either surprised or kind of like, Oh, that's that's weird. You heard about us through that. Um, is there anything that kind of sticks out when I uh, articulate that question to you? Something that people might have found out about us. Wait, yeah, yeah, like got introduced to you, uh, you know, via like you said, whether it was you know another band or whether it was like you know myself through a, a random movie that like you know like is there anything that kind of sticks out where people have echoed back to you that you they've discovered you through a maybe unconventional circumstance. Oh, I don't know. I mean, some there are some kids that like learned about us from their dads or whatever. <laughs> like that's my, that's my, interesting. Yeah. yeah, my dad, my dad plays your music, played your music, and I it got me into it, which <laughs> is a, a great way to you know have it happen. It's like because you, you know, of course, dad's music's never cool, but if you actually got into us by listening to your dad's music. That that's pretty like it's 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 almost backwards. It's like almost you know 180 degrees reversed. So that's that's kind of cool. But we have had people say, "Yeah, your dad played you played you all the time," and then I got into you from from that. So that was that's kind of you know it speaks to the fact that you know that we're in that in that part of our music careers where it's like the the, the grandkids are showing up with their parents. And how, how many generations are going to be there? You know, it's 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 been kind of fun that way. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I, I think you're very right in the fact that not only do kids have to interact with your band if they find out about you, you know, through a quote unquote normal circumstance, whether it's, you know, being delivered a, uh, you know, algorithm playlist on Spotify, but that like, that's a, a, an extra hurdle where it's like, oh, my, my parents think it's cool. So I have to immediately think it's not cool, but then yeah. they listen to it further and it's like, oh, actually this is pretty good. I like it. Yeah. Like, dis- despite my initial resistance, exactly. I, got over it. I got over it and got into you guys. Yeah, yeah, totally. I thought you guys were just to be some lame classic rock. And, you know, realistically, like you guys could easily be, uh, you know, defined as that from a, um, you know, longevity perspective. That's cool. I like classic rock, too. Exactly, exactly. Uh, well, the last thing I want to hit on was the, uh, you know, like you mentioned previously, where, uh, you know, you have kids and they've obviously watched you, you know, play and kind of grow up uh, pursuing these uh, creative uh, impulses of yours through the band. Um, do, uh, you know, do they have that initial reaction of what you do from a band perspective, like is lame? You know, <laughs> how is it kind of sit in their heads or at least how, what they've uh, said to you in regards to playing in the band? Well, I, I guess uh, the timing of the 2011 thing, which is when they were uh, preteen, both right. of them, both my kids preteen, that worked out pretty good. I was getting my daughter into some punk. Uh, I had her listen to some Agent Orange, and for a while, she's like, "Yeah, I like that Agent Orange stuff," you know. And so then I played her some of my stuff, and she said, "Well, uh, do, aren't you going to play this live sometime?" And at the point, at this time, at this point, it's like 2010. We haven't really gotten back together yet. And it kind of put the seed in my head, like, um, maybe I should, maybe I need to get the band back together for my kids. It's like, if, if you know, it's like, this is my opportunity. There's a window of opportunity where they will listen to it and be like, yeah, that's pretty cool. As, as opposed to if I, if I was like, if they were teenagers, they'd probably like, nah, you suck, you know, 
because because teenagers are that way. But so that that's that's that worked out well because in the in the early twenty in the in the early twenty teens, they they were into it. And then they, and I think now they're at the point where they've moved on to other music, but they'll come see me play live and they'll, they'll dig it. You know, they'll, 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 uh, they'll get it. They're going to kick out of it now, but uh, they've, you know, so they've been through the punk thing and they've moved on to other stuff. Um, and which is great. My son's like a huge hip hop fan and that's all he wants, ever wants to listen to. Um, my daughter listens to anything, she'll, anything under the sun. So, but yeah, they, they, I think I, I kind of played my cards right in terms of, allowing them to kind of get into my band and, and, and see us play live when they were preteens still, still not in that kind of like teenage snotty phase of like everything your parents do, does suck sucks basically. Right. Um, and I also had the advantage of being able to bring them on stage and we did, we do the song all logistics uh, where we, I would, I would come up, I would bring on stage the all logistics sign that has all the, the thou shouts on it. And I would get them into involved in that. Like, okay, say, say thou shalt not commit laundry, you know, say thou shalt not commit flatulence or whatever. So right. thou, thou shalt not suppress flatulence. Sorry. Um, and so I got them involved in that uh, from a pretty young age. And I think my favorite memory there was my getting my daughter on stage and having her do the thou shalt, thou shalt. Um, oh, great. And I'm like, remember it's a thou shalt not, uh, Thou shalt not partake of decaf. That's the one. Right. Thou shalt not partake of decaf. Very important one. I still live. I still live that to this day. Sure. And she said, "Thou shalt not partake of death," because she read it wrong. <laughs> and, and I thought that's brilliant. We should just change it to that because now we're in our fifties. Yeah, we don't want to partake of death. So yeah. No. Yeah. We 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 are actively. Uh, pursuing everything we can do against that because that's against that, yeah don't partake right. of death yeah <laughs> simply yeah decaf and death easily two things you shouldn't pursue yeah <laughs> and so uh, the uh the last thing i do promise the uh so how many cups of coffee a, a day is the uh, general intake now do you feel like you've slowed down are you accelerating it are you um you know at a comfortable level it slows down in between tours <laughs> as you might expect but okay. even, so I, I basically i have two cups of coffee in the morning uh, my little espresso volumes and that's good. I don't, I don't drink any more than that on any given day. If I'm going to practice, I'm, I might have a, th- I'm going to have a third cup to practice with. And then when we're on tour, all hell breaks loose and we probably down about five, six cups of coffee before we play. Bill goes crazy. He, 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 he'll do like 10 shots of espresso. <laughs> That's correct. I I'm also going to guess uh, coffee in some capacities on your guys's rider. Oh yeah, fully. Of course, yeah, it's got to be like. But like a lot, what we do lately is if we're if we're in the a bus like one of those nice tour buses, we bring a, a, a coffee maker with us on the bus, and we just kind of we just kind of abuse that thing in the bus and just and just get loaded on coffee in in the bus before we go on stage. Um, and you know, as Bill says, we kind of have to because. If we don't, the music's just going to suck. We're just, we're, we're old enough now where, where you can, you can look yourself in the mirror and go, the only way I'm playing these songs anymore is if, is if I get, if I get tanked up on coffee, that's the only way it's going to happen. So. Right. And obviously as you uh, age and you build up a resistance towards caffeine, like you need to have more in order to get that hit. (laughs) Yeah. 
Yeah, but in between tours, we try to dry out a little bit. With in between tours, you dry out and you try to get that sensitivity, but the tall you try to lower that tolerance some, so that when you get back on tour, it's still you know it still hits you. Right. Yeah. Yeah. You just you drink that you know cold brew from a, a local cool artisan coffee shop, and all of a sudden you feel like you're you're flying. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> well, Milo. I cannot tell you how much I appreciate your time. And uh, yeah, thanks for uh, putting all of the great music out that you have over the years. It's been uh, great to talk to you. All right. Good talking to you. Wowie, wowie. Wasn't Milo just a gem of a human? I knew it was going to be a fun discussion, but uh, after I was over with it, I was just like, wow, I got to talk to a dude who has completely changed my life. (laughs) And it's so cool to have that. But anyways, thank you again to Carl for hooking up hooking us up, connecting those dots. I really appreciate that. And we're going to keep on keeping on. It's not like the show is going to stop next week. Take a break. Nope. Episode 501. Here we go. And next week is another legend and a person that uh, I had spoken to many, many years ago in a different context and interview when I was working at PETA. Sergio Vega who is the bassist for Quicksand, also spent many, many years in the Deftones, recently departed them through, uh, you know, basically just some business pleasantries of like, hey, we're not renewing your contract. It's a whole thing. But anyways, Sergio, great conversation. He's a very prolific musician. He also played in Absolution. I mean, God, let's just, uh, let's just reflect on the low end that he's putting down. He's legitimately one of the first bassists that I like actually recognized as a sort of unique individual. It was always previously just like, oh yeah, there's there's a bassist. Like that's just, you know, maybe an easier version of the guitar. <laughs> but anyways, that's who we have on the show next week. And thank you again. I know like five of you are listening to this, but I really appreciate your support because uh, this podcast, like I said, has changed my life in the best way possible. So thank you very much. And until next week, please be safe, everybody. The show is sponsored by BetterHelp. Trust me in saying that no matter who you are, mental health challenges can affect you and how you manage them can make all of the difference. That's why everyone should have access to mental health support that meets them where they are and helps them get through. BetterHelp provides online therapy on your schedule. It's flexible, simple to use, and more affordable than in-person therapy. Connect with a licensed therapist selected just for you. Learn more at BetterHelp.com. That's BetterHelp.com. Infinity Presents, a new chapter in luxury. The premiere of the all-new 2025 Infinity QX80. Live March 20th from The Edge at Hudson Yards in New York City. Featuring a performance by John Batiste. The all-new 2025 Infiniti QX80 is an SUV designed to help every passenger feel just right. Be the first to see it March 20th at 7 p.m. Eastern, only on iHeartRadio's YouTube channel. Save the date at new-qx80.com. Don't miss it. 2025 QX80 coming this summer. Hey, hey, it's Malcolm Gladwell, host of Revisionist History. eBay Motors is here for the ride. Your elbow grease, fresh installs, and a whole lot of love transformed 100,000 miles and a body full of rust into a drive entirely its own. Brake kits, LED headlights, whatever you need, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus, at these prices, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply.